Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the 4'11-headed goal of the podcast. You didn't know I had it in me. And today, I'm joined by the misplaced wall of the podcast, leaving himself vulnerable to attack. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, um, actually, to be fair, John, the amount I've eaten over Christmas, I do resemble a wall more, more <laughs> than I did before the Christmas period anyway. But yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well, mate. Looking forward to, to breaking down yesterday's game with you. And uh, yeah, it should, should be nice. It's nice to talk about a victory for a change. I mean, even when leads were good, I tended to end up on podcasts when we'd been beaten. So it's, <laughs> ni- it's nice to come on and talk about a win and it makes the world feel like a much brighter, nicer place. Yeah, and a very wonderful 2022 when things kick off this way. Happy New Year, and Happy New Year to us. It will be another year, I think, of content from All Stats, aren't we? People aren't going to get away with it that easily. But I'm looking forward to to putting out some stuff in the next few months, and that will begin with this podcast. Indeed. Did you see the New Year in in the bath, John? Were you you in the bath when the bells chimed? I did actually see the year in in the bath, which is one of my favourite places to be. I watch a lot of football in the bath. I did my rewatch in the bath this morning. Yeah, nice. Men of culture, men of decadence, <laughs> men of leisure, you and I, Darren. Indeed we are. Let it not be said otherwise. But anyway, let's jump into this. So obviously the game that we're going to talk about today is the 3-1 win against Burnley at Elland Road that took place on Sunday. Um, so the game summary, we knew that against Burnley we were going to end up playing uh, 3-3-1-3 to counter their 4-4-2. Uh, the big question before the game was about how the back three and the wing backs would line up. We talked a little bit in the preview um, uh, space on Twitter about how this might end up being. And I think you were writer than I was. Yeah, I was. <laughs> let, let, let the, the record, record stand. Show. Yeah, <laughs> Darren was right and I was wrong. I fully accept the blame. But in the end, we saw Ailing in the back line with Koch in the middle and Urente at left centre back. Junior played as a left wing back in Dallas on the right. And then beyond that, it was pretty much as expected with Harrison ahead of James, who was coming back from injury, and Roberts ahead of Gellhart, which is maybe the only slightly controversial inclusion. And depending on how you view the game yesterday, it it played out well or badly, depending on if you like Roberts. (laughs) 
In many respects, it's really difficult to summarise this game. I thought it was remarkably open-ended for a Burnley game. We went from playing Burnley at Turf Moor where they did everything they could to make the game difficult for us and we scraped a draw to this game where I felt as though they did everything they could to make things difficult for themselves. So particularly in the first half, I would say most of Leeds' chances came from set pieces or turnovers in possession. But that isn't necessarily to say that our press was at its sparkling best. I think Burnley were trying to build up at times from the back and just gave possession away often under no pressure which was very surprising to see for example the first goal came from James Tarkovsky dawdling on the ball in possession clearing it into Harrison and then Burnley failing to defend the resulting transition it's hard to summarise any game I think which it becomes quite open transitionally obviously the ball was bouncing around a lot there was a lot of first time headers and and no settled control for long periods of the game as well but obviously as we've said a lot on this podcast that sort of game is going to suit Leeds and uh, and so it proved to be in the second half Leeds did a Leeds and conceded a free kick from Maxwell Cornet um, of which more later if I know anything about Darren I'm sure he'll have plenty <laughs> of uh, defending of his own to do after that Leeds ground away without really generating too much the big chance when it came felt to Rafinha's right foot after a good ball in from Dan James but he ended up putting that wide uh, and in the end the breakthrough came from a I would say not a particularly great chance uh, from a corner with Stuart Dallas pinging one in from the edge of the box and then obviously with with Burnley maybe pushing a little bit more for for an equaliser late in the game uh, Leeds added a third through Dan James in injury time from a really nice Joe Gellhart cross so that is the game. Now is the time for what I call the interrogation. But when it's just me and Darren, we call it a conversation, don't we, Darren? We do indeed. Don't want to make you feel as though you're under pressure here. Let's jump off with question one. So we always talk about results versus performance this season for some reason. Uh, and I think a lot of this is to do with the fact that there's this underlying idea that leads are maybe unlucky in the way that they've been playing this season and what we're going to see at some point is a, is, is a change around in performances. Um when it comes to this game, no doubt you'll probably think this was a better result than a better performance, uh, although we can expand on that as we discuss this. But are we now at a point this season where performances are just always going to be secondary to results? Is it just a case now that we need to get points on the board and you're almost writing off this season as 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 a sort of performance, a potential performance trajectory up upwards? Mm, yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's definitely the stage I'm at. I think I landed there some weeks ago, to be honest, um, given... Given that the performances have been patchy at best, and I think there have been spells in in some games where we've, where we've played well, and there, you know, and and but we, we haven't been able to to sustain it, and perhaps the way that we did uh, last season. I actually thought we played well for the last twenty minutes yesterday. I thought that was, you know, I thought that was a reasonably good uh, performance. I thought that um, Click came into the game particularly in the last twenty minutes, and that really helped us to open open Burnley up. But in terms of the overall question, yeah, very much so. I think. I think because we're not seeing any sustained evidence of the performance trajectory improving and Bielsa's methods are underpinned by the idea that you get results that, which come from good performances, I think. And, th- and that's not really something we've seen this season. So I think I think really we now are at the stage, unless we do see a dramatic increase in performance, and I don't really see where that's coming from just now, um, unless we do see a dramatic increase in performance, it's going to be really important to get results where the results are available to us, um, which is what we managed to do yesterday. And I'm not saying that yesterday was an undeserved result, because I think we did des- definitely deserve to win yesterday on both the balance of play and on the on the chances created i think we we deserve to win um but i but it, it stands a long way from 
you know, a kind of really standout Bielsa performance or, or to to the quality of some of the performances that we've seen over over previous seasons. But it but it was conversely or, or you know, one of the better performances that we've seen this season, I think, just because of the, the way that, that the game ended up panning out and, and like you say, there were some tactical things in there that, that kind of aided us a little bit and um but but I, yeah, I think overall if we can manage to get, you know, another uh what four or five wins out of the season and and probably a, a similar number of draws to the ones that we've got this season we can call that a job well done for now and I think that that's definitely where where my thinking lies at the moment it's about the results just now yeah no totally agree with you and um I suppose it's it's always tempting to to read too much into results and I think we've seen that happen quite a bit this season where you know as soon as we've got one of those performances that has resulted in a win we sort of think well you know is this turning is this turning things around we've got players back in is this the turning things around and I think it's just important to to sort of remain as 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 not objective because I don't think like we should be objective as fans necessarily but uh, I do think that it's important to recognize that you know you play that the same sort of performance yesterday against a different team and we we may well have struggled in that game so uh, I, I think it's important to to distinguish between the performance and result as we are doing and I, the thing I take away from this and this is the thing that I've taken away all season is that there are teams that we are going to be able to perform well enough to get points against even if we're not particularly performing in a in a vacuum really well so yeah I think we did we did more than enough yesterday to to justify winning um but fortunately I guess Burnley did did a lot to help us in, in that way so let's let's maybe move on to talk about Burnley a little bit because this was a very un-Burnley game um we've talked a lot about the the performance at Turf Moor and I'm on the record of, of thinking that we were a little bit fortunate in that game to get a point out of it um they caused us a lot of problems in that game, doing the sorts of things that we expect Burnley to cause us a lot of problems doing. They managed to um, stifle our build-up a lot uh, with some smart sort of higher pressing when we were trying to do build-up phase stuff. And uh, they managed to sit deep when they had uh, the the goal that they that they picked up and caused us problems in, at the other end. So this game was very much different to that on Sunday it seemed as though they caused themselves more problems than they caused us uh, and I've already mentioned that this was a sort of weird weirdly transitional game against a team who don't usually like to go transitional so how do you read this game from a, per- a Burnley point of view and how does that impact your reading of the game from a Leeds point of view? Yeah interesting because um, clearly they, they failed to press us in, in the way that they have done in the pre all three of the previous games have been marked out by spells where they put us under really significant pressure and that we really struggled to play out and I think they came to try and do that yesterday but I just think they failed to do it very well I just don't think they they, they carried out their game plan they were pushing their fullbacks up into the second line so they, they were kind of uh, they were doing a 2-4-4 kind of thing in, in the press and, and I think that was designed to try and get us under a good uniform pressure up top but they just weren't quick enough at it and they weren't and I think we moved the ball quite quickly from the back quite often and I think that that kind of meant that they weren't able to get their press involved in in the way that that you know in the way that uh, teams do to us quite often when they when they play direct because they know we're going to try and press so I don't think they managed managed the off the ball stuff particularly well on the ball they're never particularly um, dazzling are they they're, they're always going to play to a very simple plan which is to try hit Chris Wood and get the runners in around him I thought the, the quality of their delivery by and large apart from that maybe that one Chris Wood chance just before Tyler Roberts missed the one that where Melia made a really good save um, 
that was probably the only really reasonably good quality delivery into our box, apart from perhaps the corner where which ricocheted off Corne. Um So I thought that in terms of like their delivery into the box, that that wasn't good enough to cause us any problems at any stage in the game. And they were as bad in defensive transition as they always are, which is to say that I think that that what happens is as soon as they lose the ball high up, their centre backs drop off because they they know they're not particularly quick and they know leads are quite quick in the attack, and that leaves usually leaves quite a big space between their their centre backs and their and their midfield a double pivot which is something that we managed to get in on them quite a, a number of times yesterday without really making enough chances which I'm sure is something that we'll come on to later so um, I thought that al- although they were trying to do the things which do cause us problems they weren't able to and the things that, that, that I thought we might have some success from were there as well so um, overall I thought Burnley were terrible yesterday um, really bad and um I think it's yeah the most passive Burnley performance I think I've seen. I, although they were probably, I think they were probably slightly better at, uh, against Man United actually, to be honest. But but they were they were equally poor in defensive transition against against Man United. But but yeah, I I expected them to cause us um, a lot more problems. I mean, even from set pieces, they didn't really trouble us apart from the you know the free kick. So yeah, it it, it was a very very poor Burnley performance. But a poor Burnley performance trying to do things which ordinarily would cause us problems, I guess, is, is how I would sum it up. Um, and that, that we were able to, because they weren't on it and they weren't able to execute their game plan well, we were able to pick our way through them quite often. Um, so from that point of view, I think it did help us. Do you think that they were quite sluggish yesterday? I think so much of what I'm trying to get my head around is whether or not their poor performances in the last two games because I think yeah I think they were better in the second half against Manchester United who potentially dropped off Manchester United weren't particularly great either um, but Manchester United I guess they were 3-1 up at the halftime stage as well right so um, they, they definitely dropped off but they they a lot of what I saw from Burnley in the last two games was just so unlike what I've expected from Burnley in the last few seasons I know a lot of people just write Burnley off as being a bad team and, and leave it at that but this was new level stuff from from Burnley right and and so how much do you put down to that that long break they had through Covid problems? I, I think it might be a combination of that and I think it all, also might be something to do with the fact that in the first half of the season they've only managed to, one, to win one game so like I know that you ca- it's difficult to analyse isn't it the kind of mental side of the game and that's not something that we try and do but I'm sure that I'm sure that winning only one game in the first half of the season isn't great for for players' confidence and and all that kind of thing, and yeah, with with a long a long break, but you know we also had a relatively long break, not quite as long as Burnley's, but a relatively long break since our last fixture. So yeah, perhaps perhaps there is a bit of sluggishness in there, and perhaps a bit of a loss of confidence and a bit of a loss of of faith in things. Um, but but certainly, yeah, they they were they were the worst I've seen them uh, yesterday by a long long way. I think coming back to Leeds. We've already suggested it's maybe not the best team performance from a, for, for, for a while, but there were definitely some notable individual performances from Leeds players. So who in particular stood out for you in the game? I thought Junior was very good. I think he could have been given a more stern examination. I'm not saying that he was up against a fantastic opponent or anything like that, but I thought I thought that he did what was asked of him very well and to a high standard and I thought he got involved in our attacking play well and and it was it was definitely one where he fe- it felt like he was much more the player that we expected um so so perhaps so perhaps it's a combination of 
a relatively poor opponent not closing him down well enough and all that sort of thing. But also I think him growing into the system a little bit, I think is, is probably true. Um, I thought Click was very good. Um, I thought Forshaw was excellent and really kind of helped keep us ticking over. Um, and I was really, you know, I think he's, since he came back from his injury, he's been outstanding, um, albeit with, with a couple of mistakes, big mistakes in the Arsenal game. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought Forshaw was great. Um, I was, I thought Luke Ayling was improved and particularly in terms of his ability to carry the ball up the pitch uh, and, and get us out there a couple of times where I think in previous games earlier on this season when he you know when he when he was being pressed he was really struggling to get out and I thought he managed to get us up the pitch quite a few times yesterday um I thought you know um much to my, much to my wife's amusement I was moaning about when Dan James was brought on because I always moan when Dan James is brought on but I actually thought he did well uh, in the 20 minutes that he was on and showed some of the qualities that we know that he's got and, and again it's a game that suits him because they're leaving lots of space in behind the fullback and he's quick and that therefore the game is set up to his strengths but in previous games that have been set up to his strengths he hasn't shown them and, and I thought he did uh, yesterday so um, yeah I think that's Pretty much, and I saw a lot of comments saying that the that um the centre backs had played well, and I don't think the centre backs played badly, not by any stretch of the imagination. Well, there was the Urente free kick Fuba, which we won't get into now, but I do I do think I don't think that yesterday was a game that you could look at and comment particularly on a centre back performance because I thought Burnley's delivery was so poor that I think any any centre back worth their salt is going to be able to field that stuff because it's just mainly lumps into the box that are just about heading them and kicking them away and and, and they, they did that but they did it under not a great deal of pressure from Chris Wood or, or the, the runner off him so um, but yeah I, I don't know if I've missed anyone John that you'd want to mention there I think all we should do is maybe focus on a couple of those. I think Junior is someone who we had a lot of questions on the Twitter about, understandably so. As you say, it's you know you can only play the team that's in front of you, and it was a really solid performance from him. I thought um, we've talked a lot about how maybe some of his weaknesses are shown up when we're playing against teams who are able to pick the ball up when he's in an advanced area, and then exploit the space behind that he leaves and Burnley didn't really do that so there's the situations where he is obviously doing really well in carrying the ball into advanced areas and and across the pitch as well not just in a channel um, and I think we've seen it in some games those sorts of situations can lead to him being wildly out of position and then that can almost seem, seem to cause him to double think a little bit and, and become quite timid um, so yeah, good to see a bit more confidence from him. But interesting, I think, to see how he how he plays going forward and see whether or not we still see those kind of performances, perhaps. Yeah, and and again, like I think it is an improvement on the performances. I think he's been steadily improved since the Brighton game. So um, I, I think you're right. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for him, but definitely encouraging signs, I would say. Yeah, and then maybe just a word on, on Adam Forshaw, because I think there's an argument to be made that um, probably wouldn't say that he's our player of the season, but I think he's certainly one of the players who's had the biggest impact on this season. Um, and, and yesterday, I think a big sign of why that might be the case. Uh, it was nice to just see a little bit of control in the in around our own third and then the middle third. And I think um, compared to previous games that we've played against Burnley, for sure, we, um, we benefited from someone just being able to take the ball and have the 
the confidence to take a few touches, uh, get it under control, and then and then lay the ball on rather than, especially in a game like that, I think where it is, is becoming quite backwards and forwards and, and in sort of heading tennis at times. Just nice to have someone who has that elite ability to actually bring the ball under control, which I don't think many of our, the players in our system even have. So yeah, what would you make of, of Forshaw in particular? Yeah, well, he never ever ever panics, does he? And I think that's that's one of the things that I really really value about him is that even if if he has to turn make two or three little turns to try and create that yard of space for himself. He's got no problem doing that. And, you know, I, I know people do get a bit frustrated with that, but but God almighty, we've lacked control so often that I'm I'm loving it that we've got a player who will, will put his foot on the ball, will wait for the right pass to make itself apparent, will wait, wait for the right move to be there for him to roll the ball into. And um, I, I agree with you. I think he, he's definitely been the biggest improvement factor in the team since since he came back in. I think I think he's shown what we've really missed while he's been out. The other thing that I think that he does um, that I noticed yesterday is that he's really great at setting up our counter press. He's really snappy in terms of getting involved and, and recognising when there's a good opportunity on to win the ball and get us into a really good attacking position. And he did that several times yesterday. And I think I think that's something that that maybe we that maybe I hadn't that I'd underestimated his ability in, that he's really, really snappy and proactive there. And I, I really like to see that. I think he may be our most intelligent player. And I think um, that shows up insofar as he's made a few comments in interviews about maybe moving into management. So uh, I think it's nice having someone on our team who is thinking about what he's doing. I, I know that sounds insulting to the rest of the team, but I think a lot of our system is is designed so that the players don't need to think really. Uh, and so it's quite nice to have someone in that central space who is who has the ability to get the ball under control and think about what he's doing a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that I was critical of him for the first Arsenal goal um, because I thought I felt like he'd made the wrong decision there. But more often than not, he makes he makes the correct decision. And so many of our problems this season have come from players being too hasty. And that's not ever something that you could accuse him of. Uh, question four. We've talked a lot this season about our inability to generate good open play chances this season. By my reckoning yesterday, we created a couple of really good chances, both from wide areas, with one coming from a deep cross from right from Luke Ayling onto Tyler Roberts's head, which uh, was, was missed, and then one coming from a good low cross from Dan James on the left, which Rafinha wasn't able to finish. There were some other good chances along the way. Uh, I wouldn't say any of them were really good chances and the, and the XG numbers sort of back that up. Um, but my question to you is, do you, does it worry you that we've still failed to create many really solid chances uh, at home against a fairly abject Burnley? I would just add to that that I think the Dan James chance for the winner was also a really good chance from an intelligent ball and, and, a, and a good run. But but I but I don't disagree with the fundamental point. So yeah, for, for me, the prop that yesterday, I, and I, I noticed this more on the rewatch this morning, there were countless occasions where... Um, we caught Burnley in their defensive transition that we counter-pressed them, that we put them on the back foot where we had either a two-on-two or a three-on-three and and as often as not overloads so that if the right ball comes that we've got two players free on the opposite side that we just, we really, apart from the Jack Harrison one which probably doesn't even really fall into the same category because that's just about him making a run into the box and shooting, um, that, that that we so often either made the wrong decision or just didn't have the quality to pull off the the pass the 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 correct pass that i i really do think that yesterday we should have made um another three or four really good chances in those transitional moments alone 
So for me, it really is a worry that 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 given that Burnley were effectively handing us opportunities to make chances on a plate, that we really failed to do that. And and I really do think that this is the story of our season: is that we're getting into really good positions in the final third frequently enough, but but just not making enough chances out of those situations. Now, yesterday we won three one, so right, nobody's bothered. Okay, so that's fine. But if Dallas doesn't you know, ping that one in from the edge of the box, which may take a deflection off uh, Tar- Tarkovsky or may, or may not, I don't know. It's a really weird trajectory on that ball. If that doesn't go in, then we're scrapping right into the end of the game. Burnley are going to sit back and they're going to hold on. And and we just really weren't making enough chances either from build-up or from those transitional moments to, to really make me feel confident that we were going to win the game. So once they come out, because Dallas has put that one in, then obviously, as, as you've said, Burnley came out a little bit more and that did create, give us, opportunities to create chances but overall I do still feel really worried about our chance creation um, and and yeah I, it was better yesterday because I think we did make three good chances yesterday um, and that's I think that is probably our best attacking performance of the season from that point of view from the number of good chances created but um, but I do I, I, I am still worried and I was very frustrated when I had the rewatch this morning by the number of opportunities that we wasted. Was that a subtle first mention of the game state klaxon there this year? Indeed. Maybe it was, yeah. In terms of the final chance, the the only reason I'm not classing that as a good chance is because I just don't think that there's any chance in a million years that Ben Mee should be losing out at a back post header against Dan James. But I accept that it's a great ball in. It was Loughton. Was it Loughton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Like, I thought it was very poor defending, whoever it was. I agree with you. Um, but I think I do think James's movement was quite good because he, he hid behind him, basically, and made a little dart. So, I, But I, I do fundamentally agree with you, yeah. When I talk about good chances, I guess what I'm usually trying to indicate is repeatably consistent, repeat, repeatably consistent chances, right? And I think in that sort of in that sort of situation, what you're saying as well, you're relying on on a defender sort of not defending this situation the best that they can. Now, obviously, that's going to happen a lot, and you're obviously going to generate goals through opposition defenders making mistakes. But uh, I guess it's you can't you can't rely on defensive mistakes for for chance creation. So well, we could yesterday, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's probably true. <laughs> but yeah, I I do think that this is something that we've we've seen a lot this season, and I do think this is the reason for our downturn. To be honest, I think. Um, the you know yesterday we were fine transitioning the ball from our own third into the final third but as Pep Guardiola says you know like my system allows me to get the players and the team into the players and the ball into the places that you need to do um, to score after that it's up to the the players in the team to do that and I think that's just part and parcel of having you know maybe a slight quality discrepancy compared to the the other teams who are doing that sort of thing in in our league right yeah and and you know even our our best player wasn't really at it yesterday missed one of those really good chances and and put in a really frustrating performance and was was actually the culprit of many of those uh, um losses of opportunities to make good chances in Rafinha I thought he was quite poor yesterday actually so that that didn't help but I think that you know that does point up that if Rafinha isn't making chances then we would probably really do struggle too just as a side note on that, we were looking in the Discord channel yesterday at uh, uh, position heat maps um, for the game, and um, it was interesting seeing that Burnley really left their their our left hand side, their right hand side, just under the defences of of, of Loughton himself, um, and they were overloading on the other side, which I think is it's part and parcel of you know oppositions accepting that Rafinha is our danger man, and so you know making that effort to to clog up that side more. So I think. We can look at these games where Rafinha is frustrating and and sort of get get annoyed by a bit, but I do think there's a there's a point to to that, which is 
it does leave us more space on the left for players like Harrison and James to actually be a little bit more successful. But I'm sure that's something that we'll talk about in, in the future. Final question, and as it's you, do you think Melier was at fault for their goal? I've had a few looks at this this morning, um, and I think I think he is at fault uh, a little bit, but I don't think it's the dive that that, that I've heard, seen a few people say that, he, that maybe he dived late or, or whatever. I don't think it was that. I think that he sets the wall up wrong, which leaves space uh, for Corne to bend in around the outside. And I think that if the, if the wall is just another foot to the right, that shot isn't really on. Um, and I think that, that his initial position is probably too, because the, the shot's more central than, than, than I first thought. So if, I think he probably takes up an initial position, which is too far to the left, um, too far to his left. And, and he does try and eat that gap. Uh, when, when Corne takes a run up, Melier takes a couple of steps to his right. Um, because I think he's maybe expecting Connie to go over the wall rather than round it. And I think that if he does go over the wall, then he's well positioned to stop it. But because he goes round it and because Melier hasn't set the wall up in the correct position in the first place, um, I, I do think that he probably sees the ball quite late um, and that he's not able to get to set, get himself set and get a dive off given how late that he sees the ball come round the wall. So I do think he's at fault, but I don't think it's it's his dive or his spring. It's his... In, it's his initial position and the position of the wall that causes the problem as you know i will never question anyone else on on goalkeeping tactics so uh, that sounds it sounds logical to me i would say as well you know it's just a really well struck free kick it 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 comes from very far out wide and bends back in and goes in the top corner right it's it's gonna be hard for anyone to say regardless of the situation yeah if he stops it irrespective of any of that stuff i just said if he stops it it's a really good stop um so yeah that's that's fine If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Well, enough of my questions, Darren. Over to you with the uh, bring a topic section. So what did you want to talk about? I just wanted to talk about how the how the season feels after that, really. Because like, I'm, not, I'm not someone who's ever going to get carried away by 
one result and think that that means that everything is magically okay and 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 I try and avoid that kind of thinking but it did I did notice yesterday that if Burnley had managed to beat us yesterday that would have put them within two points of us uh, with two games in hand which would have felt like a very highly pressurized situation now I don't necessarily think Burnley are going to win those two games in hand I have to say because I think they're pretty abject at the moment but having beaten them that now puts us eight points ahead of the bottom three um and I just wondered how whether that how much pressure that relieves from the rest of the season I guess is is my question because for me it does feel like that means that that immediate threat of us getting sucked into a serious relegation dogfight has has kind of gone away for the moment and that that now there is an opportunity for us to kind of maybe put a bit more distance between us and the bottom three and and try to get some of those results. So I just wondered how you were feeling about that, John. Yeah, what you're saying is that was a relegation six-pointer, right? Well, I'm trying to avoid those (laughs) words, you know, to be honest, but but I suppose fundamentally there is something in that, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, look, you have to distinguish between what happens in the league, in terms of like the the, the sort of particularities, the get the games that are won and drawn and lost, whatever, and also this sort of intrinsic sense that people have of how good the teams are. I think a lot of Leeds fans have this sense that Leeds are intrinsically like a mid-table side who've been suffering through through whatever bad luck, injuries, etc. And so when something like this happens, I think they kind of think, well, you know, we always thought they were intrinsically a mid-table side, and this sort of confirms it. But I do think that it's worth it's worth noting that you know that that this leads were were and to an extent still are you know potentially in a in a relegation battle. Now obviously that battle is a lot a lot further away and feels a lot better um, than it did like obviously before the game yesterday. But there was there was timelines where Leeds you know didn't have some of the the luck that they've had. Um, obviously luck goes both ways, but there are timelines when, for example, we didn't get. A, a penalty last minute against Palace. Um, that's two points fewer. There's there's a timeline where we didn't have Tim Krul miss Rodrigo's shot against Norwich, and we when we drew that one. Uh, that's another two points fewer. So I, I think that in terms of like how I assess this, and I, I've been since the beginning of the season, I've always been of the opinion that we are we are better than at least three teams in this division. I think most Leeds fans would agree with that. Performance wise. I don't think that's necessarily been the case. And I think that, that we've been, where we've been lucky is in that everything really has gone our way in terms of, um, there's, there, okay, you can make, there's a few games where you can say, oh, you know, if, if Dan James gets that penalty against Newcastle and we go 2 0 up against Newcastle, then we probably get the three points there. Obviously, you can, you can find, you can dot the I's and cross T's. You can, you can, you can go through the accounting and, and find mistakes. But I, I think that the point is, is that we've played really badly. We've played badly so far this season enough to deserve to be in a relegation battle but because we've gone through results like the ones we've just had we are now not really in that battle anymore and so I think we should be positive about that for me whenever I'm sort of negative about results like that it's because I want us to be playing at a higher level so I'm sort of caught between on the one hand being fairly having been fairly relaxed this season about us going down not really thinking that's much of a of an option but still having that frustration of oh you know, we should we should be performing better than this. This is not good enough for for the whole needs to be better than the sums of the parts. I, whereas I think the majority of the fan base have been the other way around, quite nervous about us going down. And now that we're safe, they're going to be like, well, what's there to be negative about? And so I I sort of <laughs> I sort of feel as though when it comes to the fan base and me, I, we're, we're maybe moving in opposite directions. Like for me, I've always been quite confident and and a little bit down on our performances. Whereas I think everyone else has been a little bit nervous. But now that we've got a result, they're like, well, who really cares about the performances? So that's kind of how I'm feeling. I don't know how how you would uh, associate your feelings. Yeah, I don't know. I think. I think 
I think that my um, expectations at the start of the season were a bit lower than the than the the, the general fan base because we had a good good end to last season and I thought I think that a lot of people expected us to push on and finish you know top eight top nine top ten some people were even saying you know a top seven or whatever um, like, yeah I am talking about you Mickey <laughs> but my expectation was always that we were going to have a worse season than we did last season and that 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 um that I expected our kind of yeah, with, particularly with, uh, you know, I know we've talked about this ad nauseum, and I don't want to go into it again. But in terms of our, like, our, our, my my perception that we failed in the transfer market in the summer, I always expect I expected this to be a much more difficult season, and that's just kind of how it's panned out. I think for me, it's panned out on the on the very very bottom end of what I expected, um, and. So I I felt I have felt quite nervous and that we could get put sucked into a, a really serious relegation fight because um yeah whilst there are three at least three really terrible teams in this league right now um I think that in in a normal season where there's normally one really terrible team and then then a a, a number of other ones that aren't very good we would normally be in that that other number, I think, uh, where, where it is possible that you get sucked in. But I think because the the bottom three, perhaps bottom four teams are so terrible, I think that, that we're able to kind of breathe a bit more easily than our, our, this level of performance and this level of point gathering would ordinarily afford us. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, like we've just had two games postponed, which had we, we could easily have lost against Liverpool. If we don't win against Villa, you're talking like whatever it is, you've gone past the halfway point, you're 20 games into the season and you're, and you're still sort of down on, down on 17, 16, 17 points. Um, you double that up. That's what, 34 points. Um, well, and, and obviously it would be past that as well. So it'd probably be more like 32, which I think is probably fine to stay up this season anyway, but it's by any standard, you know, that's playing everyone in the, in the league once and um it's really not a, a, an impressive points total so um i, I do think that we, sh- we we shouldn't just flip from one one side to the other i think we should be we should be happy that we've got the points that we've got um but i think we should be uh, and we should be happy that that almost guarantees i think that you know all when, as you've said all we need is another couple of wins and and we're pretty much there uh, but i guess for us we we do look at the larger picture as well and the difference between us going into a transfer market having finished in ninth place after playing some good football um, and going into the transfer market, finishing probably in the bottom half of the table, having played some fairly stodgy, poor attacking football. The, the difference between those two things as, in a, as, as putting your club out, out as a prospect for transfers, I think is it shouldn't be undervalued. Um, and so for, for me, that that's the, fr- the big frustration is that it feels as though we've taken a step back from being a club who could, could have solidified their place as a mid-table team, could have brought in a little bit more talent, etc. And, um, and I think we're now going to be in a situation where we're going to be maybe scrambling a little bit in this window uh, and then we'll have a bit of a rebuild in the next window we don't know what's going to happen with managers and so I just think that 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 uncertainty is 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 maybe what what I take away from this whole season regardless of of how we talk about the the game yesterday or not yeah I agree I agree but do I do I did sleep a lot easier last night looking at that eight point gap <laughs> yeah no no for sure and, it, and it's great that, that this has happened and I'm, I'm really pleased that we've we've managed to do do this regardless of how much we think that we deserve it or not it's so important for us to stay in this division and regardless of what happens next season I think next season will still be tough yeah but I'd much rather have a tough next season in the Premier League than a tough 
next season in the championship. So yeah, lots of positivity there. I, I don't want this section to sound negative. I, I do think that we should be positive about it. And I think that hopefully we'll just be able to sort of plug away, get results where I, I think that maybe the momentum is important to mention. I think it will, it clearly the, the club has been under so much pressure. Like the, I've mentioned this a few times in the, in the DMs, but that hug that Bielsa gives after the yeah. Dan James goal is the hug of a man who is terrified of relegation. Like, yep. and the celebrations that the, that you see that the the players putting in, they're, they're celebrating goals like we're winning the Champions League. I, they, I think they realise that this is this is big for them, and I think that will take a little bit of pressure off. And I think the less pressure that they have will will improve, even if it's not going to turn us into a mid-table quality performance team again. Yeah, completely agreed. And I, I think that one thing that I will say is that. That, that although this has been a difficult and quite unpleasant season at times that the players, I have to say, have never, ever, ever stopped trying to, to work their way through it. And, and I, you know, I am full of admiration for that. And, and they, they recognise how the importance of that result yesterday. And yeah, it was, it was great to see. I, I really enjoyed seeing that celebration as if we'd won the Champions League when we, <laughs> we just scored a second goal against Burnley, right? Against the worst Burnley team anyone's ever seen. But yeah, the, the, it is what it is. And, it is. Uh, and it's good. Right, enough of us being curmudgeons, uh, and let's move on to the the listeners who will be no doubt more positive uh, than we are. But um, a couple of good questions here from a lot of uh, good friends of the podcast. So it's nice to have questions sent in from from people who've engaged with us for a long time from the beginning. So uh, thanks for sending in those questions and giving us more stuff to talk about. So question one from Jamie. He says, we've always played better in the 4-1-4-1 formation than in the 3-3-1-3 under Bielsa. Today we played... uh, uh, a three at the back without the ball and a four in possession. Have we decided that the best way to play with a three at the back is to do it as little as possible? Darren? My impression of this is that as far as is possible, when we play in the 3-3-1-3, three, 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 that we will try and use the same build-up patterns from the 4-1-4-1, four, one, four, one, so moving into that 2-3-5 kind of looking thing um, as, as often as possible. Now, I think this season what's happened when we played in the 3-3-1-3 three, 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 sometimes, and I particularly remember this happening in the Everton game, is that they've left their two strikers as high as possible, which means that we can't move into that exit shape that we normally do. Um, so Burn, if yeah, Burnley didn't do that. They didn't leave their two strikers equally high, and that meant that we were able to move into the shape where Alien moves into the to the you know where he would normally be at right back and Thurpo normally left back and Forshaw sitting in that central hub with the with the centre backs a bit deeper than that. So yeah, I I, I don't think it was. Uh, I, I think that is how Bielsa wants to play the three three one three, but it's just sort of other times this season we haven't been allowed to do it by the opposition's tactical uh, decisions. I don't know what you think about that, John. Yeah, I think it's important to distinguish between like structural issues and opposition issues, and I think I, I agree that I mean, to, a, to a certain extent, your build up you are gonna you're gonna try and move your centre backs around for certain reasons. Right? If you're playing a back three, your centre centre back and your goalkeeper are in the same position. And I think a lot of the time in build-up, you don't really want to have that that sort of general structure. Uh, and so there's the question is like, how do you solve that? And there's certain there's different ways of solving it. One of those is that you can push your centre centre back into the midfield area 
so sort of inverting the center or center back but what we do is that we we push the the outside center back usually on the right because it's usually ailing forward uh, and then and then we see Dallas inverting so the, the you're seeing the wing back invert um, into the central midfield area to to sort of help out or, or you could push down the line as well um, the point is is that you're creating as much space between your center backs as possible and 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 you're rel- if you're if you're happy to rely on your goalkeeper um, as a as a build-up player then you just call generate space and, and make it easy for that triangle to, to function. I think a lot of people say we struggle to play in the 3-3-1-3. I think that's partially true. Um, but I don't necessarily think that we struggle in, in build-up necessarily, at least in the at least in the Salida phase, which is the that's the Spanish word for exit. That's the 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 technical jargon that is used by South American coaches to talk about moving from from a sort of goalkeeper to to your mid midfield third. I don't think we necessarily struggle in a three three one three in that situation. Um, I think the problems we tend to have in at least in the build-up tend to be higher up in the field, and that's because we only have one we only have one eight. I think that the, the the problems that we have in the three three one three generally have come from, as you've said, the inability to get your centre backs into a situation where they're able to do that build up that we talked about before. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that that this is very much a um, to do with the opposition how much pressure they put on us. And I, you know, against a team like Burnley yesterday, they just weren't putting a huge amount of pressure on us, and and we were able to um, to do that fairly easily. And as you said, I think you've mentioned as well, we were we were going fairly direct as well. I think the issue that we have isn't going from that immediate keeper to the centre back and keeping it between the centre backs. I think the issue we have then is going from there forwards to the next phase. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And yep. I think we struggle with that all season in both formations. Um, and I think that's I think that's a personnel issue. Um, so yeah, three three one three we have looked bad in at times this season, and I don't think we looked particularly good in it yesterday. But I also I also don't think we would have looked any better if we were in a four one for one. Another thing just to say uh, as a clar- clarification is that in the four one four one formation we sometimes move into the three three one three out of possession structure. The, the, part of the point is is that when you're in the f- when when our our formation is roughly going to match the opposition man for man so when we're out of when we're in possession and we're wanting to move away from opposition players we are going to naturally move into the opposite formation because there's going to be more space if that makes sense um so yeah in possession you're going to be wanting to be close to the opposition out of possession you're going to want to be further away from possession so sometimes in the 4-1-4-1 we'll see the central midfielder dropping one of the eights dropping and then suddenly your fullbacks push up and you're like oh we've ended up in a 3-3-1-3-ish formation as well yeah situationally it can look quite similar can't it between the the two things agreed yeah I also think maybe worth mentioning that having Adam Forshaw in the pivot was quite important for for the structure as well um, because when you're playing I think against particularly quite a flat midfield too uh, it makes a it makes a difference having someone like him who's maybe better with the ball further forward uh, than Calvin Phillips but I know that Josh Hobbs has tweeted something to that effect where he was going to this morning so we'll let Hobbsy take that fire shall we <laughs> he'll deal with it he loves doing he loves doing those sorts of conversations <laughs> uh, question to James Mantella can you explain what click brings to midfield in an attacking sense he was part of our positive build up and put himself in great spots with late runs into the box it's his ability to seek out space um, in really clever positions uh, behind behind the midfield and in front of their defensive areas, where where it, m- it means that the the fullback or the centre back that he's closest to doesn't know it, whether to come out, whether to track the run that's going on behind them. Um, and I think he he's he's really really great and intelligent in terms of the way that he moves into space. Um, he 
also I think makes quite unusual passing decisions at times, which I think can take people by surprise. I think his his you know he's, he's got reasonably good vision for for a run and to, and to, to to find find things in in there. And and I think the other thing is that he's he. He's kind of quite relentless. He'll keep trying the same thing, and I, I know that that's the Bielsa thing—the again, again, again thing. He, he will keep trying um, to get into those spaces, to keep probing, to keep trying to push and try and find the thing. And I think that he, he, his, um, his ability to to do that, you know, came off really well yesterday. And and also that is he is really intelligent in terms of deciding when when to move into the wide areas to support the build up with the with the fullback who's pushed up and with the winger. Um, and also, I think that I, I don't want to again because I know I praised Forshaw in the counter press yesterday, and I think that that also Click was was really good at, in terms of snapping into those situations yesterday and getting us getting us moving. I think again, it was a couple of times yesterday people ran past him and he looks a bit leggy when that happens. But but I think that that if he if he's able to kind of snap in and 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 get us moving on the counter press, I think that is a really important attacking function that we've seen come come to fruition many many times throughout Bielsa's period. So. Those are the things that I'd kind of pull out. Yeah, I think maybe Click is one of the best system players we have um, in terms of like actually benefiting from the system um, and and being able to do all of the little things that you want a player in that position to do. Maybe not the best baller of, of all time, but and and I think like that's that's kind of the point, right? Is our recruitment now is like how do you get someone who's like Click who does all of the system things well with that added extra um, stuff on top of it? Um, so yeah, not, nothing really to add to to what you've said other than like so much people don't seem to really appreciate how much build up in wide areas the eights in our system have to do and i just think clicks perfect in that in that build up in wide area build up stuff as well yeah well i would say that when click plays well we play well and i think that that what tends to be the difference i've said this before as to whether it's a good click performance that people rave about or whether it's one where they go say he's finished he's done he's, he's, he's crap he's useless is whether there's passes actually come off or not and i think that quite often his passes came off yesterday so the perception is that he's had a better performance final question from friend of the podcast guysley uh, great to have a question from him uh, he just says joffy how do we get him into the starting 11 darren i'm interested in what you think joffy's performance was yesterday because i think we are definitely experiencing joffy mania at the moment uh, which is the <laughs> which is the I guess comes with the 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 conditions that everything that he does t- turns to gold uh, or the assumption of that. Uh, I'm not I wasn't as convinced by his performance yesterday. I think he obviously good ball into the box for the for the final goal but beyond that maybe not. But what do you make of his performance yesterday? Uh, and whilst I don't disagree that we should be thinking of ways of getting him into the starting 11, let's let's talk about that as, as well. So performance first and then how do we get him to the starting 11? So um up until the moment where he picked the ball up on the left-hand side of the Burnley box and ran into it and beat a couple of players, um, which I think was fairly late in the game. I can't remember the minutes, but I think it was the, the first real impact that he'd had on the game. I, th- I actually felt like uh, up, until, up until that moment that he was struggling to get involved at all and that, 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 the, that the style of Burnley's defending wasn't really going to necessarily suit him unless we could get the ball on the ground and try and feed him in areas where he's going to look dangerous which we weren't doing so I I felt like for probably the first 20 minutes he was on the pitch he was a bit of a non-factor in the game if I'm honest but then what he does of course is that he he, he likes to go into areas that centre-backs don't want to follow him into um, which means that he's he's always then going to be able to take the ball down turn and run at people and when when he's able to do that when he's in situations where he can do that 
um, he's always going to look dangerous. So there was there was there was the, mo- the the three things which stand out for me is the moment where he yeah tries to run into the Burnley box and eventually gets dispossessed, but but has them panicking a bit. There's the moment in defensive transition where he ends up having a shot which is end up being blocked, and I think he was as guilty there of wasting a good situation as anybody else was. And then there's the situation where he picks up the ball from Click, and and what I like about that is that he. You know that I think other players in our team may have tried to do something a bit more quickly, but he puts puts his foot on the ball, has a look, and picks out that run from Dan James, and it's a fantastic ball, and ends up ends up being a goal. So, but but really, other than that, I don't think he necessarily um, had a huge influence on the game. It was a moments thing, but at the moment we're relying on moments, right? We're we're a, we're a vibes and moments team at the moment, and he's as likely to provide that as anybody else. So so therefore, I'm happy to see him on the pitch. Yeah, and and look, I'm not I'm not using this as a chance to say I think that that he's overrated or he didn't doesn't play well. I think he I think he does, but I think that it's important to be aware of of some of maybe some of his downsides as well. And and my questions with him has all has always been, you know, how does he perform against big centre backs and 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 fullbacks? And um, I thought that there seemed to be a lot of people on the timeline just saying, oh, you know, yeah, I saw him put put. James Tarkovsky on his arse and I knew that we were going to be fine from that point on and I was like I've watched the game back and like I think the moment they're referring to is him taking a heavy touch and Tarkovsky just tackling him um, I thought the Burnley were all over the place yesterday in particularly in the final 20 defensively so I think there was a lot of space to him for him to attack I think he got the ball a few times in 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 behind the defence and didn't make much of it um, so yeah I think from him, from him and by his high standards I didn't think it was a particularly great performance um and i don't but i don't think that you should read anything into that i just think that it's important to be honest about people's performances when we don't think they're necessarily as good as as we as they as as they're being made out to be but in terms of how you get him into the starting 11 what's your thoughts on this because i've been on the record as saying i'd quite like to see him as a as a sort of outside forward um rather than a striker i'd like to see bamford playing and then maybe maybe joffy coming in for someone like James or Harrison on the left, uh, seeing if he if you can you can use him as an outside forward in that way because I think that he will then get into situations where um, he will be able to attack in the way that he likes to attack. Obviously, the the downside to that is you're expecting him to do deeper defensive work and quite a lot of deep recovery running, which maybe won't suit him. But I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I suspect that we wouldn't see him played played in in those wide areas. I don't think that's particularly likely to happen. Although I can I can see an argument for starting him from the right, and and but that would mean that you'd then move Rafinha to the left, um, which which you know I think is fine. Um, I think for me, I'd like to see him play as the second striker when we play in uh, against the three four three. Um, see him playing as, as a second striker in a four four two. I think that would really suit him. Um, I think it would. I think he would have a much bigger influence on games than, for example, Rodrigo has had when he's played in that position. Um, I think that's probably his, the 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 role, the most obvious role for him at the moment. But the the chances of us playing a second striker in, in either a, I guess it's either a four four two or a three five two if we come up against a three five two, are actually relatively rare. Um, so other than that, I think it's just about him taking opportunities from. On the bench and and learning to play the nine and kind of I think perhaps some of his defensive work from the from the nine role needs to improve I think he he quite often commits stupid fouls when he's when he's defending um from the front and I think that's something I'd like to see him really cut out but I think it's either as a nine or as a second striker I think are the, are the two two areas where we're likely to see him and I think where he can have 
where he can have the biggest impact. Now, I think if Roberts is out um, for the next game, and obviously we don't know that, but when players pull up, having not been kicked, I'm always a bit like, oh God, he's out for two months now <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think I think we may get a chance depending on how how close Bamford is to a return, and and I hope that he is ready for the league game, uh, the, the the West Ham league game. But but I think yeah, I think it's it's nine or second striker for me. Yeah, I totally agree with those, and uh, I think my preferred way of playing him is as we we played him yesterday, which is to bring him on towards the end of the game. I think he's a great impact sub. Right, let's move on to our next section, which we're calling Statric Bamford, but. I think at the rate we're going, we should just call it the Jamie Kemp section because we're usually stealing Jamie's stuff and, and shoving it in here. So do check Jamie's stuff out. Um, you will all know who he is. He works for Opta and puts out some really good Leeds stuff. And he tweeted yesterday saying, Leeds' record against current bottom half size continues to be pretty solid, even if the feelings aren't spectacular. We've been destroyed by the top half teams but for now ticking along just fine against those we need to be better than so uh, for the record he's then tweeted a, a graphic which just shows basically splits uh, the te- lists the team and splits their points per game as to current top and bottom side so um, yeah pretty stark contrast really here so leads against top 10 sides this season have picked up 0.3 points per game um, which is almost the lowest um, Newcastle have got 0.2 um, one eight. Norwich have got 0.20 and Watford have got 0.27. So Leeds are are fourth worst, um, just just ahead of that group. Uh, but when it comes to the points per game versus the bottom ten, Leeds are pretty much mid table. So 1.78 points per game against uh, the bottom ten. Um, and yeah, to to give some sort of context, Leicester are on the same uh, amount of points, and Burnley are at the bottom with half as many points and 0. 8-8 points per game against uh, bottom half uh, opponents um, so yeah interesting stuff I think you know there's it's it's such a small sample size of, of games it's what it's like it's, it's nine games for Leeds um, and all it takes is you know we've already mentioned the Crystal Palace and, and Norwich results which you, you, anything could obviously happen but the, the Palace game was an extra two points in that in that game um, where it could have been um, could have been one there's the Brentford game again with a late, late equaliser there's been a few games with late equalisers and stuff um, so maybe slightly artificially um, uh, inflated but comfortably mid-table and would be still comfortably high I think regardless and um, I mentioned this yesterday actually in in a tweet just talking about the the weird phenomenon of of Leeds uh, well Bielsa ball tactics right which is that that Leeds Leeds have an edge I think over bottom half sides that very quickly disappears against top half sides Um, so Darren what do you make of that like we talked a little bit in the group dm yesterday about ceilings for for leeds united and uh, there seems to be this leeds fans are convinced that you know you what you do is you bring in better players and suddenly you're you're competing against the top 10 in this sort of system my own personal take is there comes a point at which the system doesn't give you any benefits if you have better players in it um and i think that if you have like a if you have a squad with elite players in it actually you might be better off playing a different system um but let's just talk about this in general like Obviously, like if your ceiling is mid-table in the Premier League, that's a good thing. Um, I think that's the important thing to to start off with. But what do you make of that? Of that just massive discrepancy between we're pretty good against teams in the bottom half and we're pretty bad against teams in the top half. Well, the first thing I'd say is that I'm actually surprised to see how good we've been against teams in the bottom ten. Because my impression so far this season has been that that 
that draw primarily draws against those teams is what's killed the momentum of our season because last season we almost invariably won against teams in that sort of region of the table and this season yeah we're, we're it's felt to me like we've kind of been really scraping draws against them so I am pleasantly very pleasantly surprised to see that that we're up at 1.8 uh, points per game um in terms of yeah the 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 stuff against the top top half of the team um top half of the table rather so it's difficult isn't it because I, I think that that there are probably five teams that almost any team in the league of maybe three teams, three to five teams, you can write off results against them. It's just not going to happen. So that immediately skews the figures, skews skews what that's going to look like. And the teams that are at the top of this table against in in terms of results against the top ten are those top teams, right? So I think that 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 immediately means that you're kind of only then looking at results against the other five teams. Um, and I I I suspect. Well, I, I definitely feel like we we could and should have been better in some or maybe better in some of those games, but I'm not really surprised to see that we struggled there because if you look at the games that we've seen, you know the 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 Liverpool game at Elland Road that we went to together, they could have had any number of goals in that game. We were really really poor against them, and I think that it did expose either the limitations of our playing squad or of our system. And I'm not for me, I haven't made my mind up yet about about which of those it is, um, but. Yeah, hopefully if we can carry on gathering, you know, 1.78, 1.8 points per game against the bottom half team, teams and maybe even improve that a little bit, then we, we can see that we see that play out in our league position. But um, how we improve against those top top teams, I, I really don't know. But it's not necessarily something I'm particularly worried about right now for this season. For me, it's about getting enough results away to stay comfortable, comfortably away from the bottom three. And that currently the way that we're gathering points from this evidence shows that we're we're able to do that just now. What about in the long term? How do you feel about about the you know the approach that we'll have? Because I think a lot, like I've said, a lot of people responded to my tweet on my private Twitter just saying, "Oh, you know, I just feel as though we'll bring in better players, and then and then obviously that means we'll be able to challenge with the teams in the top half a, a little bit more." Do you think that that's true? And do you th- and do you think that there comes a point at which the system that Bielsa impl- implements is just not as useful for a top side? I think it's a really good question, and it's, it's not something I've given a tremendous amount of thought to, to be to be honest. But I do I do feel like in terms of attacking play, Bielsa's system might have a bit more ceiling to it by bringing in better players. I think better players would be able to implement Bielsa's attacking system more effectively than some of our current players are able to. And I think that we might see more upside from that point of view. And in terms of, you know, being able to build up and and keep possession more effectively, I think better players would definitely help there. I think I think where it probably falls down for me is is that um when you're either trying to play with a very high press or man marking or a combination of both i think that that when we when you come up against the quality of some of the players that we do come up against so if you come up against man city if you catch them on a good day they're going to ruthlessly exploit those things because of their ability to manipulate space and to move players around um and i i do think that probably that's where some of the limitation may come in that that if, if we're not able to dominate the ball um then then the opposition therefore will have more of the ball and if the opposition are better at are effective at moving people around then that's going to provide a limitation so yeah I think perhaps in the off the ball stuff I think that that that's perhaps where some of Bielsa's system systemic stuff might struggle against the very top teams and I think if if you look at his record against very top teams in 
the Spanish league, for example, and there, there were only two of those, uh, Madrid and, and Barcelona, that, that he very often struggled to get good results against those teams. So I think that probably bears out some of some of what, what we're thinking. Yeah, it's worth distinguishing, I think, as you've done, between the possession, in possession, out of possession. And I think, look, Pep Guardiola plays a positional system with a high press. Marcelo Bielsa plays a positional system with a high press. Clearly, you can play a positional system with a high press with elite players. Um, I, I think it's just the man marking, right? At what point does the man marking become not worth it? And uh, I think that's kind of my point in, in, in my tweets is that, um, you know, the man marking gives you an edge up to a point, at which point I think when you've got elite players, it's just easier to play in a, in a bit more of a zonal system and, 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 and go from there because you're not having to try and, uh, you know, you're not trying to necessarily disrupt the opposition in their build-up because the opposition in their build-up probably won't uh, represent a, a big chunk of the game, right? So you might as well have a zonal system and, and work from there. Yeah, and uh, I think there are two things that come from that. One of which is that I do think the ceiling at which Bielsa's system stops being useful is higher than the one that we've currently a little bit higher than the one that we've currently got right um so that's one thing and i think the other thing is that at times when we've played against those top teams we've tried to go into something more like a mid block but we've stayed with the man marking and that's meant that it's been very easy for opposition midfielders to move our midfield out of the way and let people run through it so i think i think there is something in there to think about and i'm not quite sure i haven't got conclusions but those those are the sort of things yeah that i think are worth thinking about Whenever I come into these podcasts, when it's just you and me, I always worry that we're not going to have enough to talk about. But once again, we've gone past the hour mark and we've still got another section to go. Um, we'll keep <laughs> that section short uh, because it's just the preview section and we will be doing a fuller preview podcast episode on the Patreon channel. So do check that out. And it is an interesting one because it's a double header. Uh, so we've got we've got West Ham in the FA Cup followed by West Ham in the league. Darren, thoughts on on, a pro, uh, on facing West Ham? West Ham have maybe, maybe had a little bit of a... Uh, a stumble over the Christmas period, but I think very, very much turned things around in their most recent game and will be presumably feeling quite confident that they can do that against Leeds, having come back from a, a 1-0 deficit to come back and win 2-1 at Elland Road. It was Ellen Road? It was, it was Ellen yeah. Road. Yeah. So, thoughts on West Ham? Yeah, I mean, I think West Ham are a good side and I, I really like a lot of their players. I think they've recruited really wisely. I think Moyes is a smart manager. I think that, that the way that they set up really suits the, the personnel that they've got. And um, I think for me, really, I'm just interested to get the cup game out of the way. I, I, this season, I really couldn't give a monkeys about the cups, the cups and I'm happy to just go out in the third round and whatever. But I think for me, the league games that we've had against West Ham have all been really close. I don't think they're a team that very often batter opposition. I think we've we've we could have won probably all three of the the league games that we've had against West Ham. Perhaps not the one at Ellen Road last season, but but certainly we've been in the games. They've been competitive, and I'm I'm just interested to see whether you know maybe a bit of the pressure being taken off by his getting away from the relegation zone a little bit. Whether that frees the players up a little bit, or or whether it's just a case of um, you know, West Ham managing the game as effectively as they've done in the past games against it. I think that's one of the things that they're really good at is that they, they manage the phases of play really well and, and, are, and are able to kind of, you know, be really defensively solid and whether we can break break them down. But I, I, do, I do think it'll be a competitive and close game and, and, and I'm, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I totally agree with your assessments. I think that the West Ham are a team who I think are, are gettable at, at least in, in a pressing sense in a way that maybe some of the other top sides aren't, um, which I think is why it's sort of worked out okay for us. But equally, they do a lot of things that, that cause us 
problems, um, in, in, especially in terms of set pieces. Although set pieces have been not too bad for us this season for some reason, um, and maybe we should look into that at some point. But um, only one more question, and that being like, how do you read the difference between the the FA Cup game and the league game? Do you think that do you think Leeds will just field a fairly weak inside next weekend and then come out strong in the second one? And how do you think West Ham will approach it as well? I suspect both teams. Hmm, I, I suppose West Ham in their mind will be thinking about trying to get into the Champions League this year. So I think that I think that they're unlikely to to expend a lot of energy trying to have a really good cup run would probably be my sense of it. So I think it'll be two it'll be two relatively weakened sides. I think maybe Bamford might get some minutes in the I don't think he'll start, but I think he might get some minutes in the cup in the cup game. Um but I think it will be a relatively weakened team um because I think that we've really struggled for resources. But then when I think about it, like how do you put a weakened team out for us at the moment, given the kind of size of our squad and the, the what's available to us? I don't know how you'd do that. I think it'd be you'd have to put out a, a team which is effectively made up of our regular under twenty threes in order to do that. So I think it would be interesting to see in which areas of the team he chooses to weaken and and where he where he decides to put first teamers just to see what his thoughts are around it. Yeah, for sure. I'm just looking at the table right now, and West Ham just for 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 context obviously the top three are the top three and they're miles ahead of everyone else um, but we've got Arsenal on 35 points having played 20 games then West Ham on 34 points having played 20 games and then Spurs beneath them having two games in hand with 33 points so if they win those two they can go ahead of both of them uh, and then Manchester United with two games in hand um, on 31 points so if they win both of those they will go ahead as well so there's definitely a lot to play for uh, in, in those games I also noticed that West Ham have a game against Norwich coming up um, as their next game in the Premier League which means that they've got a game between now and our next Premier League game as well so um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to make of that but that's all by way of context. But I think we should bring this podcast to a close because we have gone well over the one hour mark. But it's uh, it's been a good podcast. It's nice nice to kick off twenty twenty two with a with a nice long chat with you, Darren. I Always. I enjoy doing these podcasts with with you. Um, whether or not the listeners agree, I don't know. But um, rest assured, it won't just be me and Darren. Feels like Darren and I have been doing a lot recently. <laughs> but we do have other co hosts, and they will be coming on. I'm I'm. I'm informed in 2022, so we look forward to that as well. But yeah, thanks again for, for coming on, Darren. My pleasure. I always enjoy it. I've mentioned the Patreon channel where our previews go up and our video analysis goes up, and I will be doing a, a series just looking at potential Bielsa replacements because we're constantly being asked about who we think would be good replacements for Bielsa. So don't read too much into that. We don't have any inside information, but uh, we did think it would be nice to have uh, a video analysis series just looking at uh, managers and how they might suit us and our squad. Um, if any of that sounds interesting to you, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And this brings us to the end of the podcast, so we can take a big deep breath and we'll see you later in the week for a preview podcast.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 